0: Talk little is natural. High winds do not last all morning. Heavy rain does not last all day. Why is this? Heaven and earth. If heaven and earth cannot make things eternal, how is it possible for man? He who follows the Tao is at one with the Tao. He who is virtuous experiences virtue. He who loses the way feels lost. When you are at one with the Tao, the Tao welcomes you. When you are at one with virtue, the virtue is always there. When you are at one with loss, the loss is experienced willingly. He who does not trust enough will not be trusted. The Beatles' words are very much of their time. I will present as much context for their statements as I can, but there will be language and views expressed that may not fit with modern sensitivities. But this is 1969. Until they invent the time machine, these words remain unchangeable. This is roll
1: 6, twenty 5, nine. 4, twenty 5, nine. Three, two, one. Don't operate under these conditions, boy. You know we're coming out. It's like, it's like that. we're like we're striking. That's what it is. It's like a strike. And it's what we're going through now, really. Is that we've got to readjust to each other. You know, I've got so many songs, but I've got like my core of tunes for the next ten years or album. I won't lie, I'm not too good. The Winter of discontent
0: Discontent with the Beatles. Hello and welcome to Winter of Discontent, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the recordings of the Beatles sessions for The Get Back Project. My name is Nick. Join me now as we embark on this epic journey together. Episode 8 My latest recommendation, included here just so I can have another go at pronouncing it, Leninology by Chip Maddinger. It's a fascinating read and gives you the true timeline of the John and Yoko story, and not the truncated version that we're all used to. Well worth checking out. It's episode 8, and as I write this monologue, I'm recovering from a trapped nerve in my back that pretty much incapacitated me over the Christmas break. But enough about me. You'll be pleased to hear that we're approaching the end of the recordings for day one of the Get Back sessions. After this episode, we'll take a short break of a month and return for season two, which will focus on January the 3rd. As ever, if you want the full granular experience going through the recordings in detail, please start at episode one. Otherwise, here is a summary of episode seven. It's the afternoon of the 2nd of January 1969. The Beatles have got as far as they can with I've Got A Feeling and now want to learn something else. John suggests Don't Let Me Down, which he, along with George and Ringo, had rehearsed a little this morning before Paul had arrived. The rough version they had worked on wasn't bad for a first attempt. However, in Paul's presence, John seems reticent, almost embarrassed to start work on a song he feels is incomplete. It's possible that John's change of attitude is a reaction to the progress already made on I've Got A Feeling. This is the reason he was less keen than the others to stop rehearsing that song. We shouldn't downplay the effect that John's heroin addiction is having on his self-confidence and how it's changed during the course of the day. Or perhaps he's just a little camera shy. We must always be aware that all of this is being filmed. Either way, there follows a lengthy discussion about who should play what instrument for the new song. Paul seems to be intending to play the piano supplied for them by EMI and asks for the lid to be removed. However, when John raises the issue of who would play bass he quickly backtracks. George, offering an olive branch, volunteers to play bass, but John's sudden lack of confidence also shows in his unwillingness to be the only guitar on the track. John is also unsure of the key he's singing in, commenting, wrongly, that it wasn't as high as this, this morning. He has also forgotten the structure of the song, as it was this morning, and wants to run through it first to get the right order. In doing so, he immediately realizes the pickup of each verse, or the opening line, isn't in 4-4, so he can't sing and play it at the same time. To add to the confusion, Paul and George struggled to find the harmonies they found so easily earlier today. John asks if Paul is going to get on piano, after all, and Paul declines knowing that John will only complain about it later, as he always does. But in doing so, he more or less tells John to snap out of it and start making some decisions. This discussion leads to the first mention of augmenting the band, with either a keyboard player or bassist for the shows, which they will eventually settle on at Savile Row. For now, though, Paul is against the idea, saying it looks funny having a stranger on stage with him. John is still all over the place, unable to focus on what order to sing the song in. Here, we see how Paul seeks to encourage John, pointing out the parts of the song that he likes and suggesting an arrangement, moving the weaker section to the end. Mal Evans is on hand to take down John's dictated lyrics, which he's also not too confident about. There's a tape cut and the band are discussing the music catalogue they've just acquired and for the first time today, Paul talks through a mic into the newly set up PA system. While this is being moved into place, Ringo and George discuss the enamelling kit that they've been playing with on the run-up to Christmas. We also hear from Yoko for the first time. After another cut in the tape, we hear that there's been quite a lot of progress made on Don't Let Me Down we get a full band performance and the Beatles are now singing through the Fender PA. George is making suggestions for the arrangements and adding extra colour with some different chord inversions. The Beatles and Yoko take a break now for tea, dry buns and sandwiches, this being 1969 and movie catering being still pretty basic. Work on Don't Let Me Down seems to have come to an end at least for today John's indecisiveness has meant that progress on this song was not as satisfactory as it was on I've Got A Feeling before it. While they pause for refreshments, Paul plays something on John's guitar, and George runs through the Buddy Holly song, Well, Alright, as a kind of palate cleanser, before offering a song of his own. An audio slate states that the time is now 6.35pm, meaning it's nine hours since the start of filming. And yes, I did mistakenly say that that was 10 hours in the commentary. There isn't nine hours of available audio, so it's clear that the majority of the day's events haven't been captured on tape. However, this is still the longest collection of fly-on-the-wall audio of the group so far. We rejoin them now as George auditions a new song for the rest of the Beatles. John is playing a riff that sounds a lot to me like the monkey's tune. Love is only sleeping. or Perhaps that's just a coincidence. The tape cuts. George runs through a rendition of his new song, All Things Must Pass. John tries to follow. That's George clearing his throat. Uh, he's been coughing a lot today maybe he's got a cold or it's just a smoker's cough but at least we know who's coughing at the start of the revolver album the tape cuts again we don't know how much time has passed but the beatles haven't chosen to rehearse all things must pass The poem in the pre credit sequence is called Words and comes from the classic Chinese text The Tao Te Ching, believed to be from the 6th century BC. George encountered a version of these words, interpreted by American psychologist and writer Timothy Leary in his poem All Things Pass. It includes these words All things pass Sunrise doesn't last all morning All things pass A cloudburst doesn't last all day which George lifted wholesale for his composition. The subject of the song is the transient nature of the human condition. In many ways it is about acceptance, much like Paul's Let It Be, which he will bring to these sessions later, and as such may have been inspired by the discord within the Beatles themselves, but also the end of a love affair, perhaps a reference to his marriage. However, George's interpretation is optimistic rather than fatalistic, choosing in his final verse to offer consolation. Darkness only stays the night time. In the morning, it will fade away. Its use of the weather as a metaphor was also applied in his song Here Comes the Sun. Musically, all things must pass is influenced by the work of Bob Dylan and his backing group, The Band. Their album, Music From Big Pink, was a favourite of George's, and at least known to John. The two of them have already played a rough rendition of I Shall Be Released from that album this morning. In fact, to my ears, the chord sequence to All Things Must Pass follows the same kind of intervals as I Shall Be Released, albeit in a different key. George himself described it as a Robbie Robertson type of tune and he'd imagined band drummer Lee Von Helm singing it. Interviewed by Timothy White in 1987, George stated that his starting point was Robertson's The Wait, a song that had both religious and a country feel. It does feature similar modes, cadences and suspensions as The Wait and another band song, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. The chord sequence climbs in the key of E from an open E chord shifting up to an F-sharp minor chord with open strings, creating a complicated sounding F-sharp minor 11th over E. Interestingly, this same effect can be achieved by playing an open E chord on a guitar already tuned to an E tuning. Thunderclap Newman's Something in the Air uses that trick. Perhaps George stumbled across it like that. When he shifts up two more frets to the G-sharp minor position, he creates another inversion of the E chord, in fact E major 7th, before resolving on an A add 9. Like Let It Down discussed before, this is an exercise in shifting similar chord shapes to different positions more or less. In that sense, it's not unlike the Sun King riff or the descending Don't Let Me Down sequence that John is playing with around this time. So the band influence has entered his work also. All Things Must Pass is widely regarded as the greatest missed opportunity of these sessions. Its origins, its wisdom and intelligence, its lyrical weight are impressive and could have heralded a new direction for the Beatles. Spoiler alert... Despite extensive rehearsals, there is no definitive Beatle version of this song. However, I'm going to offer a controversial opinion that in the end that was the right decision. This is a great song. Is it a catchy song? I think that is debatable and I think it's far removed from the fast rock and roll that the Beatles wanted for their live shows. Paul is now running through a version of his song, Two of Us.
1: <laughs> uh, just for the time being, when it goes funny, I'll give you a wink and do four in the bar. Because that it's one of those where that'll fit. It'll be, it's, it goes sort of like into a waltz or something. But you'll get the idea.
0: Paul explaining the rhythm changes, and rather than counting bars, he just offers to wink at the appropriate moment. Paul has now switched to acoustic guitar. During 1967's short-lived psychedelic era, sometime between the end of the Sgt. Pepper sessions and the All You Need Is Love satellite broadcast, John commissioned Dutch artist The Fool to decorate his Gibson J160E acoustic guitar. A contemporary report in Beat Instrumental commented, The Beatles have so many guitars, yes, Ringo included, that they can well afford to experiment with a few. They now have a craze for covering them in paint, not just haphazardly, of course, but carefully with spray cans. The results are weird but attractive. Most guitars they spray themselves, but others they leave to a motley crew of artists who drift in and out of their circle of friends. The J160E had been John's choice of acoustic guitar since 1962. Its tone and resonance, already compromised by the extra bracing required to support an electric pickup, was deadened to the point of unusability by the thick layers of paint. Lacking an acoustic guitar for the Magical Mystery Tour sessions, Lennon purchased an American-made classic Martin D-28 Dreadnought. He is caught on film playing this in the Hello Goodbye promotional film, and on record on the song Across the Universe. It was this guitar that he took to India in early 1968. By the time of the Indian pilgrimage, Paul too had acquired a Martin D-28, replacing his Epiphone Texan acoustic that he'd used to record the song yesterday. Paul's D-28 appears on many songs on the Beatles' White Album, notably Blackbird, Mother Nature's Son, Why Don't We Do It In The Road, and I Will. While John's Martin acoustic fell into disuse, although he did play it during his final public performance in 1975's Salute to Lou Grade, Paul's would remain his favourite until the end of his career with the Beatles and beyond. And for these sessions, it was used most prominently on two of us.
1: One, two, three, four.
0: Paul and Ringo play this together and Paul improvises a little intro, proving once again that melodies just tumble effortlessly from him. That was the cue to Ringo. Someone is playing along on electric, presumably John. George is also searching for a guitar pun. Ringo has lost the rhythm in the middle section. This song is quite tricky if you don't know it.
1: Goes to B flat.
0: Paul directing the band through the chords. G minor. G minor. He is just so much better at this.
1: A minor, stay on A minor. A minor seventh to D. Home. I don't know
0: really. George asks, When does it change? Paul replies, unable to put it into words. I don't know really.
1: Just stop
0: Paul explaining the pause that follows the chorus.
1: I'll do a verse, just no. Oh. No,
0: I think it George trying to understand the transition from verse to chorus. Paul da, vocalises da, it. it. It's like. Ba, da, da, da,
1: da, 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 da.
0: George saying, "That's straight that," meaning it's in four-four time, which isn't technically true. Mm-hmm. Wasn't. The stumbling block is the transition from verse to chorus, and how many beats that should be.
1: It goes into... Th- well, it goes into three. Then the last one is like just... Quick.
0: Paul trying to explain it's the bar low. of
1: 2-4.
0: The Beatles didn't always have the musical vocabulary to explain what they wanted.
1: Two, three, four, one, one, oh! See, I'm not sure I think... It is, it's... it's just stops there. Mm, so it just changes from 4-4 to 3-4. So he
0: goes, Ringo plays this as a very stiff waltz beat, taking Paul quite literally.
1: Then short. And that's like a break. That's the strange bit. But it's like, uh, I'll go from the beginning. Try and catch it each time Two, three, four
0: I can now hear three guitar parts John quietly copying Paul's acoustic And George playing the melody
1: See, whenever it goes we just have to sort of learn yeah.
0: George suggesting putting a bit of guitar there In the gap after the chorus
1: Because it's supposed to be in harmony see. We're going home
0: Paul explaining that he intends the song to be sung in harmony. The We Are Going Home line seems apposite. Paul laughs and he and John improvise a few song lines together, reminding us that the day is nearly over, but not quite. Paul counts in another rehearsal, like a sergeant major. Paul hints at the harmony. Everybody loses the rhythm again.
1: Just keep going through it. I think you get, Instead of singing those will rhythm it. So you get there. Two, three, four.
0: Paul counts the song in again with a belch for good measure. John comes in with the harmony. He seems to know the song better than George. George asking about the 2-4 bar. Does it go straight to C? Which it does before returning to G. Ringo is now struggling with the chorus rhythm. Paul vocalises a part for him to play. Unlike John, Paul has a really clear idea of what he wants. John doesn't appear to have the words and only harmonises with the same sentence on our way each time. Eight, now, Paul calls for the middle eight and the guitars all clash. See
1: that? See that's, I've never stopped on that bit yet. Yeah. D- I've just gone oh, no way.
0: The number of beats to the middle section is at the moment too short, which just makes the song even harder to follow. Oh.
1: That was 23, take one, end announcement.
0: When the feed switches to the audio slate, you can hear much more clearly how loud the Beatles are. The tape cuts and we're at the start of a different performance. The band seems now to have grasped those rhythmic changes. I can't quite make out what George is saying here. It's something about all of us. To which Paul replies, three on that. So they're talking about having three-part harmonies. Three
1: harmonies. Da, 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 da.
0: George gets the harmony straight away. He seems to have a better ear for this, even than Paul.
1: I was doing it I was do- when I was playing it through first time. I was just doing the second time, just a lightning middle eight. Just... Do- just- Paul
0: suggests a double-speed middle section to make the song even more difficult. John playing for laughs, trying to sing ever-higher notes. They're having fun with this one. Two of us, or on our way home as it was known at this point, appears to also have been the product of the final Lennon-McCartney songwriting session that produced I've Got A Feeling. It seems from the recordings that John already knows this song. However, it's never really been made clear if John contributed to the song itself. John himself claimed some level of authorship in his 1980 Playboy interview with David Sheff, but his memory isn't always that reliable. The uncertainty over authorship probably stems from the lyrics. The subject of the song seems to be Paul's relationship with Linda Eastman. You and me, Sunday driving, not arriving is a reference to the new pastime of getting lost that Linda introduced Paul to. When we went out for a drive, Linda always wanted to get lost. Paul would often feel panic setting in as they drifted off into unknown territory, but he soon learned to embrace the spirit of adventure and discovering new places. She'd say
1: things like, let's get out of London. Let's just go and get lost. I excuse me. No, I don't. I want a destination and I want the route. Just go down this street here. I said, no, I don't know the way. She it'll be okay. I'd probably take a guitar with me. I remember doing the song with the two of us. That was about that, you know, the two of us just heading out for
0: nowhere. If John had a contribution, it may have been purely lyrical inspiration, slanting the subject of the song in the direction of his relationship with Paul. You and me, chasing paper, getting nowhere, and the poignant reminiscence of you and I have memories longer than the road that stretches out ahead. In a way, it resembles John's song, Julia which is simultaneously about two relationships, one of the past, his mother, and one of the future, Yoko. Two of us achieves the same effect, perhaps saying goodbye to the John and Paul relationship while looking forward to the Paul and Linda one. As such, it's one of the more underrated songs of the Let It Be project. Musically, its verses are country-tinged in G major, from the first performance feature Everly Brothers style harmonies from John and Paul. The on our way home repeats that act as a chorus shift the time signature from the shuffling 6-4 of the verse to a lurching 3-4 with added bars of 2-4 which is quite flamenco. Add to this a middle section in B-flat in 4-4 time linked by an odd length drum fill and you have the Beatles song with the most time signature changes in their entire catalogue. The initial run-through of this song is demonstrated on Paul's acoustic guitar however for a live performance at that time the Beatles needed to plug in to be heard. So over the course of the Twickenham sessions the band attempt a fast rockier version of the song which Paul would refer to as chunky as we will see, this approach is dropped later when Sessions move to Savile Row. Tune. Sing the
1: tune. Sing the harmony. Yeah.
0: John appears to have the lyrics now.
1: Uh, Henry
0: Cooper, indulging in some wordplay on the name of British boxer Henry Cooper. He's most famous for being one of the few people to knock down Muhammad Ali. Paul, showing how he wants the rhythm of the vocals to sound, he's looking after every detail.
1: To do it from the beginning like harmonies. Those are the words you can see.
0: As I said, John now has the words in front of him. John offers to sing the melody line. And that's what he'll be doing in the finished song. But at the moment, they're singing the same melody together. That's George, just trying to get an idea of the structure.
1: 25 take one coming up. See somehow if you could keep it sounding like it's not changed. I don't know how you can do that, but it must be Shut that. your eyes.
0: <laughs> Paul asking John to keep consistent strumming all the way through the time changes. John jokes. Shut your eyes.
1: You know, when when you're playing on the guitar you can't hear it change beat really. Except when you come to uh, So it's like four in the bar. Yeah, it'll be that. Yeah, it'll do it. Okay, do it from the beginning.
0: One, two, three. This time Go Paul on. adopts the higher arm.
1: Fast middle eight. Now you and
0: Faster middle eight is still not working.
1: Yeah it's But well, we we'll do something like that. But it's like if you do, do two, two, yeah, one, two, two, two. And we're going home. We're going home. We're going home. We're going home.
0: Paul vocalises all three harmony parts. George calls for a pen to write the chords down, another indication that John already knows the song.
1: You and me have memories longer than the road that stretched out ahead.
0: Paul has switched to bass now. It seems like everybody knows the Paul. It's fascinating to hear how he's taught the band every detail of this song so far. Sorry. Paul messes up on the bass, but remember, he's working this out at the same time as he's singing. Paul enthusiastically singing his sped up mid late, which kind of works now. Twenty-six, take one. John drawling, welcome home, Paul, while playing a kind of cowboy riff. John asks Paul what kind of super backing has know. he had in mind. I don't know. in it. Tellingly, Paul says he can't see the song needing bass. Of course, in the finished version, it won't. George is saying something along the lines of the tune is like it, meaning the song needs bass. John comments that the bass is not that bad. Paul thinks he'll get a bass part eventually.
1: I'll get it. It doesn't worry me, though two weeks I'll get something.
0: Paul takes them through another run-through.
1: Okay, one, two, three, four.
0: George to play the intro on one note. George ignores him. Paul has forgotten he's supposed to be singing the harmony part, not the melody. George has stumbled across the riff that eventually gets used in the finished version. Paul suggests they turn down so that they can listen to each other.
1: Let's try it, try it all quieter, so that it's over all the you way. Know, listen listen to it. What do you think of that fast middle eight?
0: I don't like him.
1: Sneaky on me now, is it? If we made everything sound fast, it would be nice. Okay, one, two, three,
0: four. Paul counts in another run-through. John's harmony is off-mic but it's completely there now the only difference is they will swap places in the harmony on the finished recording at this point the tape runs out and that was the first day of work on the Beatles Get Back project it seems like it did everything it was intended to do There was very clearly an intention by the documentary makers to capture footage right from the very beginning. A photograph exists of the crew gathered in a semicircle around Mal Evans, one would presume discussing where to set up the Beatles equipment. While Mal and Kevin are in the process of doing this, they are directed to perform a little for the cameras. The Let It Be film opens with a close-up of a drum skin emblazoned with the classic dropped T Beatles logo designed for the band by Ivor Arbiter. The camera then tracks Mal picking up the skin and moving toward Kevin, after which they then pointlessly shift a piano. The documentary wants to show an empty stage gradually filling up, Tony Richardson added to the coloured gels lighting the backdrop as the sessions progressed according to photographer Ethan Russell. In the absence of any clear direction from the band, this appears to be the default method that Tony and director Michael Lindsay Hogg are using to tell a story. Presumably, if the live show had been staged here, we would have also had footage of a stage being built and seats being put out. It's not a bad idea, just maybe not a fantastic one, as might befit the biggest group on the planet. A number of guests make an appearance today. George Martin, whose role as producer, is not very clearly established. He is not in charge of the sound, nor is he captured at any point discussing arrangements of the songs. He is mainly there to consider the appropriateness or not of the soundstage. Dennis O'Dell as film producer makes an appearance, partly to check if Paul is happy so far, and partly to encourage Ringo that filming for The Magic Christian is still going ahead despite being delayed by this project. At this point, this is the only audio we have of any of the production team talking to anyone but Paul. When Dennis and George Martin want to talk about an alternative location, they talk to Paul. When Glyn Johns wants to discuss the sound, he talks to Paul. The power dynamic in the Beatles at this stage in their career is very much with Paul as the alpha. In his defence, he doesn't really want this role and goads John on more than one occasion to be more assertive. The impression most commentators have of John during these sessions is of a junkie, unable to communicate and completely absorbed in his love affair with Yoko. Whilst John's behavior is quite reserved compared to the fearless, dominating character of the Beatles early years, he is engaged and present at all times. He's making jokes throughout and Paul is often completely on his wavelength as they improvise little bits of business together. He does seem to wobble quite a bit when leading the band through the song, Don't Let Me Down. There may be a number of reasons for this, but we mustn't discount the detrimental effect of having a camera on you the whole time. In fact, being filmed will distort how the Beatles behave. For some like Paul, it encourages them to act up and clown around. For others like George, it causes them to become passive aggressive. George's behaviour today is not so easy to read. He's nowhere near as introverted as he's often portrayed. He's open and friendly with everyone, greeting George Martin, Paul and Ringo with a Happy New Year and inquiring after George's wife, Judy. He greets Sundra with a Hare Krishna and he and John and possibly Paul have a meeting with the devotee during a break. Progress on new material hasn't been too bad either, especially since this is the first day and a fair chunk of the time has been spent setting things up. In all the Beatles have learnt three new songs, I've Got A Feeling, Don't Let Me Down, and Two Of Us. These are really just a framework and require some orchestration, but they now all know how each song goes, more or less. Many books and websites list a great amount of songs played on each day. Most of these performances are just doodles or diversions a chord or a riff, or even a conversation inspiring one of the band to quickly play a bit of a tune by another artist. These really shouldn't be taken as performances or cover versions. It just muddies the waters. In summary, all that's happened today is the Beatles have met up to start a new project after a short break. The crew have put together a stage setting in order to film them. The road managers have set up a PA for them to sing through and they've rehearsed three new songs, all of which will be released on record at some point during the remainder of their career. As yet, there's no discord between the band members. Ringo is a little grumpy, put out that his film career has been put on hold briefly, unwilling to travel for the live show and a little perturbed that nobody noticed the enamel gifts that he made for his bandmates. But there's nothing that's a threat to this production. There is possibly the seeds of some future problems about to germinate. George is deliberately ignoring Paul's suggestions for guitar parts, and he seems to lack the energy required to get buy in from John and Paul on his new songs. The two songs that he demos at this session are among his best work and neither has been worked on by the rest of the band so far. Paul is enthusiastic throughout, but in many senses, overwhelming. He is brimming with ideas, but that does mean he doesn't really entertain other people's suggestions, even the production team. John is, as I've said, engaged, but really he's just going along for the ride, not driving anything. Those are the main issues that will affect the outcome of this project. The biggest of all will be the lack of a clear idea as to where this is all leading. The venue for the live performance will remain unresolved for most of these sessions. But for now, it seems like a productive start. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Let me know what you think on our Facebook page and our Instagram, all titled Winter of Discontent Pod. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It really helps other people find us. You can also email on winterofdiscontentpod at gmail.com. Thanks again and goodbye for now.